one of my philosophies has always been I want to do everything with the student. I don't want to just say, hey, you go collect the data. Right. Mm. I've never liked that approach. Um, and so try to show up, you know, in the laboratory working with the students, sit in front of the computer, analyze our data together, you know, rather than having them do it and then bring it to me yeah. or me doing it and talk to them about it. We just try to do everything together. I like this principle that I learned from a friend. It's called the with me principle where you kind of live life with uh, with others yeah. and you learn from each other and of course i feel like i've learned more from from my colleagues and my from my students than i've ever you know given to them and again i'm quite fortunate you know to have these experiences welcome to health and human science matters a podcast by colorado state university's college of health and human sciences i'm your co-host and digital media strategist avery martin and i'm matt hickey associate dean for research and graduate studies in our college, we make it our mission to optimize human health and well-being through discovery and innovation. But don't just take our word for it. Each episode, we sit down with people who fulfill that mission, our college faculty and staff. And today, we've got a special treat because I've got a long-term friend, a singular friend. I would, I would describe this man as a collaborator in the lab, a teaching buddy in the classroom. Uh, we have shared the fellowship of the rope outside, and so all kinds of fun stuff. So Chris Melby from Food Science and Human Nutrition. Welcome, my friend. Welcome. Well, I'm very happy to be here. This will be a fun conversation. We're looking forward we're looking to looking it. looking forward to it myself. Yes, yes, indeed. And of course, we were just joking before we got on the air that you and I have had these conversations in many settings uh, over the last 25 years. Our offices, walking around campus, camping out on a tent on a glacier, on, on Rainier, and everywhere in between. So We have spent a lot of time outside. We have. As yeah, well as inside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're looking forward to having some fun, Chris. And so, you know, part of, again, of our mission is to allow our listeners to get to know you as a scholar and get to know you as, as a person, a father, a grandfather, a friend, outdoor adventurer, all these things. And so, you know, I want to start with when, when you think back over your career here at CSU and you think about some of the big problems that you were pursuing as a scholar, I just would ask for your reflections on, on representative examples I would say that probably I would capture best my my goal in my research to understand the interaction of exercise and nutrition, you know, working together to influence uh, various aspects of health, you know, risk for heart disease, risk for diabetes. These sorts of, of problems, I think, are quite prevalent in the United States and now, of course, globally. And I've been fascinated since I was quite young with exercise and also, you know, with food. I'm not a foodie, though. You know, a lot of people think, oh, here's a nutrition professor. He must really enjoy food. And I eat. I do have, you know, some foods that I prefer. But, you know, I go to a meeting or I go to a new, a new place, a new community. I typically go for a run rather than looking for a restaurant. You know, I, it's when, when I'm not, when I'm by myself, I typically have a pretty bland diet. You know, healthy, but that's not why I got into nutrition. Hmm. I got into it because I was quite interested in health rather than just the enjoyment of food. But of course, I still have some enjoyment of that. And of course, there are some some desk secrets that Dr. Melby has, right? <laughs> oh, no. So, yes. you know, his secret weapon, this is a little known fact, but uh -huh. his peanut M&Ms are, are sort of where it's at, right? But you know, uh -huh. I can I can make a case <laughs> for peanut M&Ms being awfully healthy. Okay, <laughs> really? we got some phytonutrients, you know, in both the peanuts and in the chocolate. Mm -hmm. And granted, it's milk chocolate. But the peanuts, you know, they're a good source of protein. They've got folate. Now, come on. We, we can... We can have some on occasion. There's a case. One of many things I like about this case is light on his feet. Right? <laughs> yes. 
That's great stuff. So Chris, I, I want to push the research question yeah. just a little bit further. So one area that has informed your work, and I've been lucky enough to collaborate on some of this, is sort of the health equities, health disparities story. And I wonder if you might tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. When I was in graduate school, uh, my advisor was uh, an African-American physician scholar, and he got me quite interested in looking at some of the health disparities that were present within the black community. Mm. And so when I got my first job uh, as a professor, assistant professor at Purdue University, I started looking at the the potential for a plant-based diet to have a beneficial association with blood pressure uh, among African-Americans and found that among those that followed a plant-based diet, largely vegetarians, that these individuals had much lower blood pressure than those individuals that had an an omnivorous diet. And of course, there are differences. People who choose to be a vegetarian can differ in their exercise patterns and stress. We tried to control for these things statistically. But nevertheless, uh, in some ways, it was always a nuisance for us because we found that the vegetarians were always, they always weighed a lot less. And of course, lower weight than associated with lower blood pressure. But even when we controlled for the the body weight differences or the body composition differences, you know, we found that those that followed a plant-based diet had uh, lower average systolic and diastolic blood pressure. Mm -hmm. So, and that spawned some other things. We started looking at lipids. Then we moved into looking at issues related to diabetes risk. And this was certainly with you. Sure. Uh, you know, looking at diabetes risk, diet and exercise potential impacts in the Latinx population here in, in northern Colorado and found some interesting things as well. Um, again, I, I think the findings have not been sort of unexpected because what we find is that a healthy diet, regular physical activity are quite beneficial, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to risk for uh, various chronic diseases. But we had a lot of fun over the years. I got to know a lot of great people. And certainly working with you was a, a treat, you know, over the many years that we spent, you know, working in a clinical lab, laboratory together. Yeah, and it's it's fun because you, you bring to the table in terms of your career both interesting experiences in the field. It's in urban mm-hmm. settings, I can remember yeah. some of your stories and mm-hmm. maybe I'll get you to share one or two of those. But then, you know, you and I have been in the lab on many occasions where we're, you know, we've got the white coats on and we've got sterile fields and mm-hmm. scalpel blades <laughs> and everything in between, right? GC uh, set up for our lipids and mm-hmm. all that stuff. But sh- sh- share some, maybe you have some particular moments that you find amusing or, or where highlights that, you know, and again, from your field work, maybe from, don't tell too many stories about things we did or didn't do together. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of the, the earlier work that, that I did when I was at Purdue before I came to CSU was going into urban areas and collecting data, you know, in the, areas where there was a large population of African-Americans. And we would set up uh, in, in clinics. Uh, our, our clinic sort of, we would call it a clinic, but you know, it was where we would measure uh, blood pressure and we would get body composition measurements and we would uh, obtain uh, blood samples for uh, the cholesterol and triglycerides and things like this. And we did this in churches, you know, because we found that individuals in the churches were uh, willing to participate, they were interested, you know, in what we were doing, and oftentimes, I mean, it was a great learning experience for me. I grew up in southwestern Colorado, small town, and we had a couple of uh, black families in our community, and that was all. So it was a it was a tremendous opportunity for me to understand sort of a different part of of the population in the United States, and develop some great friendships. 
And uh, I grew up in a, such a small town, Cortez, you know, had 6,000 people. That going to these big cities was, it was quite a different experience for me. But again, I, it was uh, something that, you know, I treasure. You know, it, it made my job feel like it was play as much as work. Nice. And I have to ask you again, you, you've got uh, former students scattered to the four winds. Um, and I, I just, again, wonder if you have particular memories of, of moments with trainees. I, you know, there's some that come to mind for me, the Chris Osterbergs of the world will, you know, immediately come to mind. I think of, of Richard Ho, you know, and some of the, the lab banter and teasing that would go on, you know, as part of the training environment. So I just, again, any memories you might be well the, the the number of students that I can recall that I still have connections with yeah. you know it's pretty lengthy because I think one of the great joys of, of my career has been the opportunity to interact with students mm -hmm. you know and initially when I started I was almost the same age as the students you know so I felt like well, I better keep my distance a little bit but as I've gotten older you know, I realize I develop really good friendships. We do a lot of things outside of the laboratory environment, outside of the classroom. You know this. I mean, we've had students that we have climbed mountains with in South America, in the Andes. Um, I, even this weekend, have arranged to, you know, climb up Horse Tooth Rock with a couple of students, you know, in our department. So it's been a, a really great experience working with so many different students, but there's a few that stand out. One of them you know well. That was Richard Hull. Sure. Richard uh, earned his PhD in our department, and he went on to work in a, a diabetes laboratory that was affiliated with Harvard as his postdoc. And you know now he's working for a, a large uh, medical company in the San Francisco Bay Area, doing incredibly well. But Richard was involved in in studies where we were doing muscle biopsies. Do you recall it? And of course, yeah. you know. You are the, the consummate person to do biopsies on this campus. I think you probably have done more than, than anybody. I, I bet if you put all the people together that have done muscle biopsies compared to you, you've done more than everybody else together. <laughs> well, a couple of them. <laughs> don't, don't you think that's true? Well, certainly on this campus. Well, nevertheless. So here, so, but, but Dr. Ho, you know, Richard, we called him at the time, and now he's Dr. Ho. He was definitely afraid you know, of biopsy. And I suppose we had to be a little careful here, you know, in, in our discussions. Sure. But, you know, we were, he was taken off. He was done. He was done with his PhD. So we had a, we had a party at our house to say goodbye to him. And uh, Dr. Hickey brought, I think it was a screwdriver and a hammer, a mallet, you know, and a, and a bottle of rum or something, you know, to, as an, sort of the anesthesia to administer a muscle biopsy for Dr. Hull. <laughs> yeah. And of course, it was all in good fun. This yeah. wasn't going to happen. Yeah. But we, we just have had lots of, of good times. And one of the things that has occurred in, in our research together is we often had to be, you know, in the laboratory or in the clinic really early, you know, five, six in the morning. Sometimes a person doesn't show up and occasionally flip a coin to see, well, who gets to take a nap? You know, it's it's 5.30 in the morning and we don't have a study participant. So exactly. <laughs> there's, a, there's a bed here. Who gets it? That's right. And, you know, That's before right. we end up doing our other things throughout the day. But again, just uh, lots of, of great times with students inside the laboratory and the research environment and outside. And one of my philosophies has always been, I want to do everything with a student. I don't want to just say, hey, you go collect the data. Right. Mm. I've never liked that approach. Um, and so 
try to show up, you know, in the laboratory working with the students, sit in front of the computer, analyze our data together, you know, rather than having them do it and then bring it to me yeah. or me doing it and talk to them about it. We just try to do everything together. I like this principle that I learned from a friend. It's called the with me principle, uh-huh. where you kind of live life with, uh, with others yeah. and you learn from each other. And of course, I feel like I've learned more from from my colleagues and my from my students than I've ever you know given to them, and again, I'm quite fortunate you know to have these experiences. Now I have to ask you because I think there are generations of inquiring minds that, that need a definitive answer to this. <laughs> so, you know, of, of all the students you've interacted with over the years, who who gave you the the toughest run on the basketball? The toughest run on the yeah. basketball. I mean, they're all a distant <laughs> second to you. But oh, was, my. That's a tough one. It is. Well, you and I know that we have never lost. We used uh, to serve a, up some humble pie, you and I. Know, well, two on two. We, we've yeah. never yeah. lost a, a driveway basketball That's game right. two on two. Yeah. So you, you and I play together. <laughs> I see a nice duo here. And, <laughs> I see uh, it. <laughs> well, we both could shoot fairly well, and Matt could rebound well. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I would say probably maybe Stacy Schmidt was our one of our well, rushers. She was, yeah, she was. She was. She remember she and Kyle yes, would, would yeah. play ag- yeah. against us. Yes, and, and we weren't about to lose. Exactly, but whatever we, it takes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and I have an experience. You know, one of my I, I participated in a in a medical mission clinic in in Nicaragua, and I had a, a good friend who was a football coach here, uh, Larry Kerr. And we had these these young guys came by the clinic and they had a basketball and they wanted you know to know if somebody wanted to play with them, and they were pretty cocky. They felt like, hey, we can, you know, you guys are Americans and and you know you know basketball, but we are young and we're good. So <laughs> we were, Larry and I went and played a game of basketball, pick up basketball with the two of them, and they were young and they could jump and they were quick, but they could not get around Larry Kerr's screens. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd been a linebacker in college and a coach, and we had a pick and roll, and we beat – they didn't score a basket. <laughs> and we beat them, just, you know, so handily. And they were thoroughly embarrassed. And, of course, you know, we, we had a good time with them afterward, and, you know, we weren't trying to, you know, show them up or anything, but it was kind of fun. You know, I mean, <laughs> this is so neat because it brings back shared memories, right? Mm-hmm. I, I can remember Banyos. And I could remember putting yeah. those kids down mm-hmm. there, and it was tooth and nail. <laughs> no, yeah. them. This was after we had gone up a mountain that I actually that I failed on. It's a nineteen thousand three hundred foot peak, snow covered peak, and we had it was uh, it was Matt, it was myself, my daughter, and and we had a former student with us. And Matt and the former student summited. I got sick and couldn't make it to the top, and it was, you know, that was an embarrassment for me because I. I just knew I could do it, and I my daughter had to help me get down on the you know on the same rope and, but then we I think it was two days later we got in a basketball game and I was still just pooped, mm-hmm. you know and we all were because we've been up pretty high yeah. but we got into a game and with some young folks yes, and I think we did okay though I think we held our own we held our own yeah. you know? of course we had you know our ice in the holes, Chris Osterberg right because yeah. she, she played. Here mm. for CSU. Well, I think at oh, one time she had the three-point record before Becky Hammond. Yeah. Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah, so and it, uh, played a lot of pickup games with Chris. She was a ringer. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So, so Chris, yeah. I'll, I'll nudge us at least for a moment off campus. And sure. I want to go back to Cortez and ask you to share a bit about your educational journey, right? So 
you don't just, you know, wake up when you're five years old and say, I want to have a DRPH or, or be a faculty member somewhere. So talk to us a little bit about the, that pathway. Yeah, in many ways, I feel like my career occurred almost a little bit accidentally. Because I grew up down in the southwest part of Colorado, which I just loved, I had a great uh, environment to grow up in, spent so much time outdoors, I never wanted to have a desk job. Mm-hmm. I thought, no way, I've got to be outdoors. Because I spent so much time fishing and hunting and hiking and climbing when I was younger. Sure. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll become a biology major, which I did initially. And then I thought, well, you know, this isn't exactly what I want. So I became a forestry major. And then I decided, yeah, this isn't exactly what I want. I really love sports too much. So it was not until the end of my sophomore year that I decided, I think I want to teach and coach. And so I became a, a physical education major. And I, I finished up my degree, did my student teaching, got a job teaching at the secondary level, and I enjoyed it. But I also was teaching science, and I'd always had a, an interest in science. And so I was, I was teaching, actually, eighth grade science. And I thought, I love this. So I decided that I was going to go back to school. And so I, I did. I went back to school. actually had some experiences even prior to that. I, I taught uh, science at the elementary level for two years when I lived overseas, uh-huh. which was an adventure. Can you tell us just a little bit more about that? This yeah, I, I, taught in an, I taught in an international school in the Middle East. And... I really was, I didn't know much about the Middle East. Initially, I thought we'd probably head off to Africa. My wife and I were both looking for an adventure. And we ended up in the Middle East. uh, And just, again, I had an enjoyable experience, but it was a big city. And I started to realize, you know, I think I could probably be happy anywhere, even though I never thought that would be the case. Mm -hmm. But when I came back... I had the opportunity to go to a a university clinic in California. You know, it was uh, at Loma Linda University. And I had been looking to go to medical school, potentially, or into a a PhD program. And I'd already been accepted into a Big Ten school and was kind of excited about that. But I went to Loma Linda, and they had a program in preventive health care that I thought, this is incredible. The the first couple of years are, are very similar to med school. You know, with the biochemistries and, and the physiologies and the anatomies and even pharmacology. And then the next years are research, epidemiology, and focus on nutrition and exercise. And I got a great education there, even though I didn't know that much about the school. I thought this is pretty special. And as I was finishing up, I thought, well, I need to figure out what I'm going to do from here. And I, I honestly thought I might end up going back to the Middle East, but I thought, well, I I don't know enough yet. I need to make sure that I have some additional experiences. And by then I had two two kids and I I saw that there were some job openings in universities and I thought, well, if I have to, if I teach and do some research, I'm gonna learn more and I'll feel more comfortable. So I ended up at Purdue University and, and my first years there, I thought, what, how did I ever end up here? I don't belong here. Everybody here is smarter than me. You know, what am I doing? But I, I grew to really enjoy the university, had some great colleagues. Uh, there was another individual that started at the same time I did in the department um, by the name of Jerry Heiner. And we sort of helped each other navigate, you know, the tenure process, tenure promotion process, doing research together. And 
you know, and colleagues along the way have been instrumental, you know, in helping me sort of navigate, you know, the, the various places that I've been. So I can look back and think, gosh, there's a lot of sort of almost happenstance, you know, you know, maybe some, some divine intervention here that has enabled me to end up doing things that ultimately I really enjoyed, even though I didn't necessarily intend to ever do what I'm doing. It's kind of neat, though, right? Yeah. Not all of us have this, you know, long-term 30-year plan. No, I I really thought I might be a teacher, you know, at the secondary level for my whole life. If I wasn't doing that, you know, I I originally thought I'd be some sort of, you know, forest ranger. So I want to get back into this educational journey and ask Mm -hmm. you to speak about mentors. And even, you know, as an early career faculty member, mentors mm-hmm. that may have been here at CSU, but talk to us about folks whose, whose fingerprints you, you still sort of bear as you enter the classroom. On a, on a daily well, basis. you know, I mentioned the one, uh, Dr. Richard Neal at Loma Linda uh, was really a special person in my life, uh, African-American physician, scientist that I think was very nurturing and incredibly challenging. Uh, one of the best speakers with a vocabulary that, you know, I couldn't begin to ever emulate. And he just challenged me in a lot of ways in terms of speaking, in terms of writing, in terms of thinking. Uh, I had another uh, faculty member there in epidemiology by the name of Jan Kuzma, who was a well-funded NIH epidemiologist, and he got me interested in, in that sort of research. As an undergraduate, here at CSU, in, in your department, which is where I graduated with my bachelor's degree, there was an individual by the name of Max Morton, and, and Max was a, a physical therapist, and I really enjoyed his perspective on how the body functions and, and taking kinesiology classes from him, mm-hmm. and I stayed in touch with, with Max Morton, with Dr. Morton, for years afterward, uh, even after he had, had gone on and had a different career from his time at CSU. And then this uh, good friend of mine at Purdue, Jerry Heiner, was very instrumental, I think, in helping me along the way as a colleague and as a mentor as well. And then, of course, folks here, and that includes you. You know, my time with you, I always felt incredibly challenged because Matt and I would teach uh, a class together. We would team teach, and oftentimes team teaching means that one person takes half the class, you know, the first half, first, you know, six, seven, eight weeks, and then the next person takes over. But we would come every day together, Mm. you know, and so we would be able to play off each other. And I always felt like, man, I got to be prepared because I'm going to be playing off the very highly regarded, highly esteemed, you know, Dr. Hickey, and it's going to be tough. And the feelings are and, very much mutual. And uh, but we, much. I think, I learned a lot from you in those classes, and I think the students really had a great opportunity to to hear us kind of play off each other and get them involved in in the play as well. That dynamic was so much fun. I'll yeah, really and, and I frankly, I missed that. Because, you know, Dr. Hickey has gotten so busy, you know, with his administrative responsibilities and... My podcast. Podcast, yeah. doing this sort of thing. <laughs> and um, so I, the last few years, well, probably the last eight years or so, I've been teaching it myself. Yeah. And the students, I think, hear stories from other student, previous students. Well, gosh, I wish we had Dr. Hickey in here, too. And I also, I wish we did, too. So you've had a, a big impact on me as well, for sure. And, you know, I have to say again, to, to have the good fortune to have a really close friend and, and you know, often that might happen and, and nothing else, but then, and we can collaborate on research together and go get grants together and then to say, and we can teach together. 
Yeah. Man, that's that's pretty rare, actually. Yeah. And I'm thankful for it. Well, and sure. we have special memories, you know, here at CSU for sure, you know, both teaching and research. But we got a lot of special memories outside, too. Mm-hmm. You know, we've we've climbed many a mountain together and slept in tents. And you know me, I'm claustrophobic, I think. You know, Matt may have a, have awakened before and seen me with my head outside the tent, you know, because I get a little, little gunshot, a little nervous inside, you yeah. know. And uh, but we've had some, you know, really special moments. And, and I think, you know, to me, colleagues that you work with are great. Colleagues that you work with and and also can live life together outside of the academy are are really kind of rare and pretty special. You know, and for that, you know, I'm I'm just I feel incredibly blessed and fortunate to to have enjoyed my professional time and my friendship with you, you know, as well as some others, you know, still within my department. You know, it's pretty neat when somebody still likes you when they've seen you at your utter, you're shattered after 15, 16, 17 hours on a mountain or something like that. And they're still going to put their arm around you and say, come on, yeah. let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We had some good memories. And we had, you know, one of my favorites was Chris, Chris and I, Chris Osterberg. And, and Chris here, we're, after a number of years of doing this together, we came up with a no whining rule. You know, but instantly, because we're all so light on our feet, we would, you know, still whine, but we'd say, I'm not whining. I'm just making an observation. That's very true. That's a great point. <laughs> well, because honestly, there are times people will often, oftentimes say, oh, you know, climbing those tall mountains, that must be so fun. You know, my, my typical rejoinder is, well, you know, it's really not fun until you've already done it and you can look back on it. Mm-hmm. You know, in the midst of it, we call it type two fun. It's really pretty miserable. Yeah. You know, but you, you know that eventually you're going to be able to look back on it and say, wow, you know, we were able to do that. You know, and, and it's it's been incredibly challenging. You know, we've been up, you know, 20,000 feet in the Andes together. And it's, you know, you feel like you're breathing out of a straw. You know, we're pretty used to, I think, you know, what we feel now with masks with COVID. Yeah, well said. <laughs> yeah. well said. Because, we, you know, right. we, we've been in situations where, you know, breathing has been pretty tough. But I think that when you face challenges that are difficult together, that you just sort of become lifelong friends. Amen. There's nothing that creates a friendship more than when you have faced a challenge together and you help, you've helped each other through it. it. And, I, and I think I like putting myself in adventurous situations, you know, because you grow from them. Yeah. I don't want to become sort of stagnant. And yeah. so my wife sometimes will are you you're going back to South America, you know, to climb again? I said, yeah, but it's good for me. I get, you know, when you're not along, I get lonely. You know, sometimes I get fearful. It's difficult, but it makes me appreciate, you know, life. And for that reason, you know, I'd like to continue doing it, even though, you know, I'm obviously, you know, getting pretty old now, but nevertheless. You wouldn't know it. So, Chris, we, 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 we CSU... I was lucky enough to get you here. And I want to talk a little bit about the move from Purdue to here. Uh, and then, you know, a microcosm of, of 30 years of teacher, mentor, th- this spirit of service that led you to twice now <laughs> step into the role as department head. When I, I think it's fair for me to say that was not an aspiration of yours. You did it because it was a job that needed to be done. Mm-hmm. Right? And so talk a little bit about the sure. CSU piece of this. Well, I really enjoyed my time at Purdue, but Purdue is Indiana without any mountains. And having grown up, you know, right near the San Juan Mountains in southwestern Colorado, I 
kept looking for opportunities to come back. Sure. And I honestly thought I was in an actual health and kinesiology department at Purdue, and I thought probably if I ever come back, you know, to Colorado as a, a you know, a professor, I'll end up in the department that you're in, mm-hmm. you know, health and exercise science or some such department, you know, maybe at a smaller school. But I saw there was an opening in the food science and human nutrition department. And I do have uh, a, one of my graduate degrees is in nutrition. And so, you know, I applied for the position and I got offered the job. And when was this? This was 1989. Okay. And I, I, I accepted the job verbally. And then some things happened that caused me to have second thoughts. And I won't go into those, but I ended up declining the position. And it was painful to decline it because I thought, I've just given up the opportunity to come back to, first of all, my alma mater and Colorado. But then the the next year, they had another opening. And this opening was a little bit more in line with my expertise and my interest, my research interest. And so I thought I probably have burned a bridge here already, but, you know, or verbally accepting and then having to decline it. But I, I sent in, you know, my, my letter again and my CV and I got another interview and I interviewed this time and the, this time the, the timing was right. And so I, I left Purdue and, and came to CSU. But one of the first things I did was to go over to the health and exercise science department and, and find out, okay, can I, can I, are there some colleagues over here? And, and you were not there at the time, but I, I made friends with some folks over there with Lauren Cordain and some others, sure, you sure. know, and, and um, started doing some collaborative work, to, you know, with them, working with people in my department, Ken Allen and, and Mary Harris and, and a variety of different students and, and found it very enjoyable. And then and moved through the ranks. And let's see, it's probably about 2002. We had some uh, unfortunate situations in our department with some retirements and uh, department heads leaving unexpectedly that the, the dean of, of our college at the time, Nancy Hartley, contacted me and she said, you know, we, we need somebody to be department head. And I said, well, Nancy, that's something I've never really aspired, as you indicated. And you know, I, I've never felt like I had any special gifts at all for ad- administration. But I, I knew our department needed some leadership. And so I said, I'll do it. Myself, I don't want to do it as an interim or an acting department head. I want a five-year stint as, as a department head because we need some continuity. Mm-hmm. And that turned into from five into 10 years. And then I had an extra year when we had a failed search before uh, Mike, Mike Pagliasati took over, and then when Mike, you know, retired, Here Lisa, comes our, dean. Our, our dean, <laughs> you know, contacted me and she said, "Chris, I got a favor to ask of you. Would you be willing to do it for you know another another year?" And I said, "Yeah, I, yes, I will. I'll do it for another year." I actually thought I'd be retired by now, but and it's been challenging, you know, to. to don't to be honest, you know, with COVID and um, and have a lot of retirements in our department, and uh, it certainly has been a challenge being department head. But we have such great people that I work with, and I keep telling them, you know, it's it's really important what we do in our careers, but who we do it with, I think, is just as important, you know. And I I feel like I have really great colleagues in our department that. Uh, have rallied, you know, in times when we've needed. They've helped me 
you know, there's just a lot of trust that's been built over the years. And so uh, sometimes I have to pinch myself thinking, what am I doing in this, in this role that I never ever dreamed I'd have as a professor, you know, somebody who teaches, somebody that's had, you know, a, a fun research career and has contributed, you know, I think some, you know, to our discipline, you know, and has had great colleagues, you know, along the way. So no regrets. No regrets. That's a great, and I, I totally agree. I've you know been lucky enough to do things that, that cross over to yeah. nutrition readily. And, you know, we had that funny experience for a while where, you know, I had a joint appointment, but then I could never sit as the outside member on graduate committee. You know, it's kind of one of those things where you go, no, that doesn't. So, you know, we said, let's stop doing that so I can yeah. be on the committee. Yeah. That's right. No, but yeah, I, I agree. The, the, the department's been fantastic. It's been fun to, to be able to rub elbows with you and others over there. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's a neat group of people. This is a natural segue in, into a question about where we find ourselves as colleagues in this College of Health and Human Sciences. And of course, you and I collectively now have you know some 50 plus years of, of experience yeah. in, in the college and it hasn't always been called Health and Human Sciences, but Talk to me about what you like most about working in the College of Health and Human Sciences. You know, I would have to say again that the emphasis on health uh, with so many of the different departments. You are a very eclectic college, Mm -hmm. but I think that we also work very well together as colleagues and there's good collaboration. Um, You know, I've been working with, with Lauren Shoemaker and Human Development and Family Studies. Uh, obviously, I've worked, you know, with you and Chris Bell and other people, uh, Karen Hamilton, you know, over in the Health and Exercise Science Department. There's been great collaborations, I think, you know, over the years because the the people that tend to be drawn to this, I think, are quite altruistic and service-oriented and really want to have an impact. It isn't just about you know building a, a CV, you know, and how many publications can we get. It's really you know, how can we impact, you know, our communities and our students? And, and I think we've all realized that over the years that we can't do it alone. You know, team science is here to stay because the problems that we face as a society are going to be largely intractable if we don't work together, you know, as collaborators and as colleagues. So I, I, I've enjoyed being in a land-grant university uh, because our department has extension uh, I've had opportunity to prevent at extension, you know, forums, uh, some of the research that, that I've done, you know, that can s- sort of spread the information that we've, that we've learned in our research, you know, outside of the, the so-called ivory tower. And so it's been a pretty special place. And I've had the opportunity to work with, with different deans, but they've all been great, you know, over the years. It's been pretty special, you know, with... Nancy Hartley and Jeff McCubbin and April Mason, you know, and now Lisa Youngblood. That's, you know, it's been it's been pretty neat to, to find the support from the deans, uh, you know, for our department and for me when I was serving as department head. To, you know, being department head, you you kind of wonder, well, who do I work for? Do I work for the dean or do I work for our faculty within the department? And I've always said, well, you know, I work for both, and and we'll we'll make it, yeah. you know, we'll we'll make our relationship succeed. That's good advice for sure. You've anticipated the the land grant question, but I wonder if I could just ask sure. you to unpack that a little bit more. The the unique perspective we get and the opportunity we have to work at a land grant institution. Yeah, I think the the land grant tradition is is incredibly strong, and needs to be because we view our classroom 
as not what is just here in Fort Collins or up at you know, the mountain campus, you know, or CSU Pueblo, but, but our, our campus is really, you know, the entire state. And we have the responsibility for, you know, as the state university, the land-grant university, for ensuring that we have an educated population, you know, and providing resources that, that people throughout the state of Colorado need. I knew about CSU when I was living in Cortez, with really not even sure I would necessarily go to college. I didn't know what I was going to do. But I knew about CSU because I would drive by, you know, on the way to the mountains, I'd drive by a sign that said, you know, that there was a, an agriculture experiment station that belonged to CSU near Hesperus between Cortez and Durango. Mm -hmm. So I, I wondered about that and I found out about it. Oh, well, well, they do, you know, they provide agricultural information throughout the state of Colorado. Now, in this unique area here, they can provide information to farmers, and it's an experiment station. They can, you know, test various soils and crops and things like this. And I thought, well, that's that's pretty neat. And then when I and Purdue was a, is a strangely enough, even though Purdue does not have a state name, you know, to the university, it's a land grant university. It was the same sort of thing. The emphasis, you know, on ensuring that there are resources available educational resources especially for the entire state of Colorado the various various counties and I realized you know in Cortez we had extension specialists one of my probably my third or fourth year I went down to Cortez you know and gave a bunch of nutrition seminars and, and workshops you know through extension you know which I loved mm -hmm. and and uh, so I think you know I, I sort of and uh, an advocate, a strong advocate, you know, for land-grant education because I think it's a real, it's, first of all, it's first class, and secondly, it's real world. You know, you're you know the, the faculty here, the agents that are outside in the communities, the extension specialists that liaison between the university and the agents out in the counties, you know, do, do just a, a really great job in, in making sure that CSU is impactful in its research, and it doesn't just remain here in the ivory tower or in the journals we publish in or in the conferences that we present our findings in. Right. You know, so Chris, I'm going to ask you one follow-up question, but I want to predicate it. You know, so as I've been listening for the last hour, and I think probably I anticipated this given our friendship, you know, um, it's, it's, it's particularly fun, right? If somebody were to, to ask me, you know, how do you describe Chris Melby in one word? I've been thinking about this for a long time. It's not easy to do because there's a lot of gems that come to mind. And, in one word? Yeah. Now, I'm not asking you. I'm okay. going to describe you. And then I'm going to ask okay. you a question. Um, you, you know, and again, we've had a special relationship. We've, we've prayed together and we've wept together and we have suffered together and yeah. shivered together and yeah. laughed and yeah. everything in between. And, and yeah. you know, the, the gamut of how do you describe Chris, I, I think for me it would boil down to integrity. That, mm. That's the, the thing that comes to mind for me. So, so as a man of integrity, I, I would like you to give us a, some parting advice to students or to early career faculty members about how do you navigate this thing we call life? Well, that's a, that's a loaded question. When I when I think about the term integrity, you know, it, you know, and I, I appreciate the comment, but at times I, I, I think, ah, you know, we all have masks that we wear, you know, at times. I think integrity, in my mind, is integrated. 
you know, and so what you see on the outside and what you see on the inside, no, they're the same. Mm -hmm. And, and yet I know that, you know, at times we are pushed into sort of wearing a mask, you know, and, and, you know, especially I think when we get really, when we get a lot of education and, Mm -hmm. you know, there's expectations of us to, you know, be the purveyors of all of this knowledge among our students and, uh, but I think that, you know, part of, of living a life of integrity is, is being honest with ourselves, mm-hmm. recognizing our shortcomings, recognizing that we have flaws, uh, recognizing that I really do need other people. I can't do this alone, and nor would I want to do it alone. Um, and I think, you know, I have opportunity to, you know, mentor younger faculty in our department and, you know, I, I typically encourage them to, you know, to find things that they're passionate about, you know, stay true to themselves in the sense of, you know, don't get pushed into doing this because the expectation is, well, if you're a faculty member, you know, then you you have to do this. I think much of it is, you know, find your, your passion in your research that you really will enjoy and that you're not doing it just to gain a reputation. You're not doing it just you know, to get a salary increase. You're not doing it just to get promoted or tenured. You're doing it because you're going to be impactful, because it's going to be beneficial. And in the long run, the, the satisfaction, I think, from living in that sort of, of, of manner, you know, is going to be so beneficial, you know, to our, our mental health, our emotional health. Uh, I, I guess that's what I would encourage, you know, be, be honest in your endeavors you know, find the, the things that you're really passionate about that you can do and rely on, on other people to help you along the way and exhibit humility, recognizing that none of us know it all. And what a fun thing to do is, you know, to discover things that we didn't know before. Uh, you know, because I think, you know, having that sense of humility and awe about this universe that we live in is really important, you know, as we navigate and then and, and as we have the opportunity to, you know, teach our students and, and uh, learn together as a community. Well said. Well said. Chris, thanks a ton. Yeah, it's fun. Thank you both. This was yeah. just awesome to watch. Such a beautiful conversation Yeah. between well, friends, between colleagues. You know, this was great. Well, like I said, you, I told you and I told Avery, I don't know why you're doing me. I'm, old, you know, I thought you should feature younger folks. And, but I have to say I enjoyed it. Good. You know, we did too. So, good stuff. Another great interview is in the books. Thank you for listening to this episode of Health and Human Science Matters. Be sure to check out the rest of season two, as well as season one. If you want to learn more about the college, go to www.chhs.colostate.edu.